All right. We, uh, as you can see, get to talk about uh, politics today. Uh, we have an election coming up, uh, so we thought we would address that. Uh, my name is Brian Asker. I'm one of the pastors here. And when we set out to start uh, Crossview Rosa Parks uh, a few years ago, we never would have anticipated all of the different things that have taken place over the last few years. I mean, COVID for one, right? Uh, that wasn't on anybody's planning uh, list uh, that I know of. And then, uh, of course, uh, George Floyd happened, and then all the political turmoil that kind of came up uh, out of that. And then, of course, there was uh, the 2020 election and all the things, need I say more, right? I mean, it's been a crazy last couple of years. Sadly, the church has also been caught up in some of this rhetoric, and in many ways, it's lost some of uh, its credibility and its ability to speak into uh, culture or to speak to anybody who isn't already sort of a part of the church. So at Crossview, we're all about connecting people to Jesus. It's our primary mission. And so we want to make sure that we're able to do that, that we have the credibility uh, to be able to do that. So we thought, hey, this guy Andy Stanley wrote a book called Not In It to Win It, talking about kind of all the political turmoil out there. And uh, with permission, we're going to use a lot of the content uh, that he uh, produced and his team produced uh, for the next couple weeks as we talk about this uh, going into this political season. So he's down in Atlanta, uh, Georgia, and uh, because we have the midterm elections, we thought, let's jump in and see, see what we can uh, learn. So uh, before we get into it, I do want you to think about your own story over the last couple of years as you've kind of walked through this season um, on some level, all of us have been writing a story of some sort uh, or another. And some of us have written stories that have been kind of driven by fear and panic. Um, and others of us maybe have been living out stories of faith and generosity. Uh, most of us are probably maybe a little bit of both, right? Uh, there are moments where we live in fear and moments where we're living uh, with great faith. But we all write a story one decision at a time. And we want to write a good story. So uh, here at Crossview Rosa Parks, we didn't do everything perfectly. And at Crossview, we didn't necessarily do everything perfectly. But I think we did a lot of things right over the last couple of years. And uh, for one thing, we launched this church. Kind of amazing. We're, we're here today uh, in the midst of all this. Our first weekly service, for those of you who don't know and haven't been a part of us, was essentially a week after what I like to call is Pandemic Sunday. <laughs> I mean, seriously, uh, it's crazy that, uh, that we've been here uh, essentially starting in the midst of a pandemic. So we figured out how to do church online, and that was a crazy adventure. Uh, I remember my kids uh, learned how to run sound and video and uh, things, and they were our production team to start off with because nobody could be in the room uh, together except family. So that's what my kids amazingly did. Uh, super proud of them. Um, but uh, we also figured out uh, how to do a lot of other things uh, together. We figured out how to do some crazy things to bless our community. Like we packed uh, a bus full of food and uh, brought that down to Echo Food Shelf and provided some food uh, for people who were struggling. And then uh, we did 
uh, things like weddings and funerals and baptisms by going to people's homes uh, and doing it outside. Uh, those were normal parts of our life. Uh, so we figured out how to do life as a church in the midst of a pandemic. In fact, we also launched small groups uh, at that time. Uh, so we weren't planning to launch small groups at the beginning uh, of Crossview Rosa Park's existence, but hey, pandemic comes and things are flipped upside down and suddenly we had over 70 people who were meeting in Zoom groups online. Uh, it was pretty crazy. Now, some people didn't like how we did things and they left. Uh, and uh, some people said we were caving to political pressures. I think one of the most difficult seasons for me uh, was probably in the fall of 2020 when uh, things had ramped back up, COVID numbers were rising again. Uh, we were meeting in person at the American uh, up on stadium here. And Every week, I started getting more and more phone calls, text messages, and emails saying, hey, Brian, we can't come in for this reason, this reason, and this reason. It got to one week in November where we literally had 18 people in the room, 17 of which were running uh, the church service. And the one person who wasn't volunteering that week was a normal volunteer. They just didn't happen to be volunteering that week. <laughs> and uh, so after that week, uh, Sandy and I connected with a lot of our uh, launch team members and said, okay, it just doesn't really seem financially wise for us to rent this space when we're mostly, when most of the people who are worshiping with us are online. So what if we stopped meeting at the American, the American, we went back up to Howard Drive, our mother church, Crossview up in North Mankato, and we started meeting in the great room. We said, hey, you can still come in person, but uh, we'll mostly do things online. It'll be a wise thing financially. And most of our launch team said, you're totally right. This is what we should do. So that's what we did. We stopped doing services in person at the American, and we started doing services in person uh, at, the, uh, at Howard Drive and recording or you know, doing live uh, the services there. And I told people, hey, come on over to church if you want. Uh, but it was interesting, of course, you know, a lot of people couldn't come. Same reasons earlier. They were texting me, emailing, and phoning me and saying, hey, I can't come. So then uh, when we got to January and sort of went back out and started doing uh, services at the American, we were about a third the size that we were in the fall. And I was like, and, I, and a number of people contacted me and said, like, yeah, we just didn't like that you shut down. I was like, we didn't shut down. <laughs> uh, but, you know, people have the story. Uh, so when life is unpredictable and it gets crazy, what is interesting is that we tend, uh, sorry, when life is not unpredictable, when it's predictable, it's easy to lose sight of sort of the things that we value most and the things that we fear the most. But when a tsunami of uncertainty rolls in and when things are no longer predictable, we can't figure things out, that's when our value system begins to get exposed. And it doesn't alter our value system, it exposes the values that we have. So our actions don't tell the whole story, but our reactions most certainly do at least tell more of the story. Um, they reveal more of what's going on inside of us. And unfortunately, over the past several years, the reaction of many Christians to some of the political upheaval, uh, the social and economic things that we've faced, the health crisis that we've faced, have exposed in many ways what's been true for a, probably a long time uh, in the church. 
beneath all of kind of our Bible um, faith and rhetoric claims that we have, there's a bit of a hidden agenda uh, that we have. And it's an agenda that many outside the church probably have suspected is real for quite a long time. And that that's, that Christians value the same thing that every other ideological group values. And that is winning. And similarly, we also value the same thing that every other, we fear the same thing that every other ideological group uh, thinks about, and that's losing. So we don't want to lose. We fear losing our influence, our voice. We fear uh, losing our rights. And the irony is that's exactly what happens when we abandon our Christ-given mandate. We lose all of those things. And as I talk to people who aren't following Jesus uh, or who have left Jesus for some reason or another, that's one of the number one things that they ask about. They're like, why don't you seem to love other people? Why, why aren't you loving others? And then shortly there uh, behind that is, why are you so focused on winning culture wars and winning elections? And it's driving them away from the church. And I think the church in general has missed a major opportunity, an unprecedented opportunity to live and react in contrast to the way that the world does around us. Jesus said that our unity is how the world would know that Jesus came, that he loves us, and that he loves them. Our unity would bring, be the thing that would show others that. But unfortunately, we've done exactly what Paul warned the first century church not to do. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Of course, the assumption is that there are things to grumble and argue about. And that's true. Every generation, there's always something that you can grumble and argue about. Am I right? But if we don't grumble and argue about things, Paul says that we will become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now, if you are worried about our country or our world, and you have been thinking about how warped and crooked it is, the answer, I think, to fixing that isn't for us to go out and try to change everybody else, to try to shape everybody else and mold them to what we think they should be. I think, no, it's to work on ourselves, to work on our own issues that we have. If we grumble and argue like everybody else, then we're going to look like everybody else. So Paul says in verse 15, then if you, if you don't do this, if you don't grumble and argue, if you become pure and blameless, then, he says, you will shine among them like stars. The contrast is going to be so apparent that people are going to stop and they're going to take notice. Like, what's going on here? But unfortunately, over the past couple of years, I think the church has lost some of its shine. We're not shining in the midst of our world. And I say, let's get it back. Let's get back some of our shine. But we've got to stop grumbling and arguing about all these little things 
grumbling and arguing with our neighbors, with one another, with our state and local officials. To, ju- to use Jesus' words, we need to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Unfortunately, many of us went on some sort of a war against our state uh, and local officials, officials to, to gain the right to gather uh, during a pandemic. Some left the impression that if we, didn't, if we weren't able to gather you know, shoulder to shoulder on a weekly basis every seven days, that somehow the church would suffer irreversible harm. And some said that we're losing our religious liberties, which is a little laughable, especially if you are a missionary around the world. (laughs) They're looking at us going, "Uh, no, you're not. (laughs) Why don't you come spend a month with me on the mission field, and then we'll see what you say. (laughs) Uh, Some took to social media and demonized other people and the ways that they were responding to things. People said they were standing up for the truth uh, and that we wouldn't be intimidated. We're standing up for our religious rights. We're fighting for the good fight. In a summary, we were kind of in it to win it. And that sounds really, really good. I mean, who doesn't like winning, right? I mean, Mankato West just won to go to the state title. This weekend, Mankato East just won the the boys' cross-country title, right? I mean, we love winning, right? But that doesn't sound so great when you start to read the Gospels and you start to follow Jesus and see what Jesus said. Or if you start following Paul on his journey from Greece to Jerusalem to Rome and you see what he's doing. As un-American and as passive as it sounds, the church is not here to win. We're not here to win anything. In fact, by every human measure, our Savior, Jesus, lost. He lost on purpose with a purpose. And we are his body. We are to live out and represent Jesus in our world. So like our Savior, we're not in it to win anything. We are in it for something else entirely. And when we allow our faith to be subjugated to a particular political party of our choice, then we lose our voice. We lose our distinction. We lose our way. We lose our opportunity to serve as a conscience for our nation and for our world, which means our nation suffers, our world suffers. So Jesus didn't come to win in the way that we define it. Jesus came to lose. He invited us to follow him into that losing or into that different win. And the Apostle Paul understood this. And Jesus' followers in in Antioch, uh, one of the first churches, understood this as well. In fact, they were called Christians in part because they weren't like everybody else. They didn't follow Caesar. They weren't worshiping Caesar like everybody else. Being a Christian wasn't a term of endearment at that point in time. It was an insult. But it changed the world. It changed communities, it changed families, it changed cultures. And many of us here today would say it's changed our lives as well. Jesus has changed our lives. So, to be clear, today we're not advocating that we would withdraw from a political process or that we would somehow not talk about politics. 
On the contrary, I think we've been called to love, love more, to care for others, and to do everything that we can to create and to protect a culture that fuels human flourishing, that helps other people. Our posture, our tone, and our approach is what's going to be different than everybody else if we follow what Paul's talking about. And it must reflect that of our Lord Jesus, who is willing to lay down his life uh, for others. We have the freedom to choose Jesus. But if we choose Jesus, then we need to live up to the representation that Jesus calls us to, to live like Jesus, to be more and more like Jesus. And in his letter to the early church in Corinthians, Paul describes his alternative win, the way that he thinks about how we are to live, his strategy for how we're to represent Jesus. He even uses the word win in it, interestingly enough. But if you read it in 1 Corinthians 9, if you read that text, it sounds a lot more like losing. And you might think, there's no way that a losing, this losing strategy would work. But just so you know, these sort of lame ideas that Paul has, uh, these lame ideas that Jesus had, have actually shaped Western civilization today. And the question is, how did he do it? It's not the way that the world does it. It's not kingdoms of this world sorts of thinking. No, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, Though I am free... I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone. So when we read this, particularly in American culture here today, we often read this kind of figuratively. We think about slavery as a figurative thing. But for Paul, slavery was an ever-present reality. Slavery wasn't something that was around ethnicity. It was around economic things that were happening. So Anybody could become a slave. You could become a slave because your crops didn't come in like you expected them to. You could become a slave because your husband died. You could become a slave because your children couldn't take care of you. And so everybody, except a very small sliver of the population, had the possibility of becoming a slave. But Paul, in this case, says he chooses he makes himself a slave. And who does he make himself a slave to? Everyone. So, even the people that you don't agree with? Yes, everyone. Paul made himself a slave to everyone. He goes on to say that he does this to win as many as possible. His goal was to win people away from the kingdoms of this world thinking, which is power, money, and prestige. This is what the world is after, right? And he wants to win them towards a new way of thinking, towards loving God and loving others. He goes on to say in verse 20, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And this is a little confusing to us, but for Paul, uh, we would think he's a Jew, but for back in the first century, Paul would have been a Hebrew from Tarsus. And Jesus was a Hebrew from Galilee. 
And so his point is that he's becoming like the Judeans, another group of Hebrews. So, to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. And then he says in verse 21, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. Paul understood that he was under the law of Christ. He was under God's rule. He was putting God, Christ, first in his life. And if you say, I follow Jesus, then you're also putting yourself under the authority of King Jesus, God's holy anointed one. And God's law is pretty simple. It's love God, love people. To put another way, to love others as Christ loved us. And how did Christ love us? Jesus laid down his life for us while we were yet sinners. Jesus laid down his life for us. We're to one another, one another. We're to care about one another regardless of our views, uh, particularly of our political views. And we do this to win those not having the law. And some people might look at this and go, Paul, I mean, what kind of opposer are you? I mean, you're just a flip-flopper, right? You're just, you're, there's no consistency here. Take a position, you might say. Well, Paul, <clears throat> sorry, we tend to like simplicity uh, and we tend to like certainty. But Paul had in mind the mission of God to love others and to tell them about that love because most people don't know how much God loves them. And we too, as Crossview, we are an outward-facing church. We are a mission-driven church. We want to help people connect with Jesus. We don't want to alienate half the population by picking a political side. We want to pick Jesus. We want to stand for Jesus in the messy middle that requires nuance. We have people at this church that vote Democrat. We have people at this church that vote Republican. We have people that vote third party. We have people that don't vote at all. Paul wanted to take a stand for Jesus and he didn't want to alienate anybody. In 1 Corinthians, uh, in verses 22 and 23, he says, I have become all things to all people. In other words, I've learned to navigate relationships with people that I don't agree with, that I have virtually nothing in common with. And that's a little counterintuitive, especially in today's world where we like to find our little corner of people that agree with us and hang out with people that agree with us, people that have the same ideas as us. It's a lot easier to do life if you hang out with people that have all the same thoughts and ideas. But that's not what we're about here at Crossview, and that's not what Paul was about in the first century. Paul wanted everybody to know the love of God and to care for them. And we do that so that by all possible means, meaning whatever it takes, even being misunderstood, that we might save some. Paul wins people. By winning, and we're not talking about converting other people, that's what God does. 
Paul believed that Jesus had already won on the cross. That also means that we've already won. Someone just needs to tell everybody that they've already won. That Jesus has already done all of these things for us. Paul says he does all of this for the sake of the gospel, the good news that Jesus loves people, that I may share in its blessings. I think, what would it look like if we were about sharing the blessing with other people? When a church or when Christians become preoccupied with saving America, it has forsaken its mission. When a church becomes preoccupied, preoccupied with defending its rights, forsaking its mission, uh, or rather than advocating for the rights of others, it's lost its way. As author Tim Keller writes, when the church as a whole is no longer seen as speaking to questions that transcend politics, and when it is no longer united by a common faith that transcends politics, then the world sees strong evidence that Nietzsche, Freud, and Marx were right. That religion is really just a cover for people wanting to get their way in the world. So let's resist the temptation to use our faith and to use Jesus as a means to an end. And let's not be guilty of leveraging our faith to get our way in the world. Let's remember that our ultimate allegiance is to King Jesus, not to a donkey, not to an elephant, but to a lamb somebody who is willing to lay down his life for other people. Our uncompromising devotion to a king that was willing to lay down his life for other people, that's ultimately what's going to make America and the world a better place. When we are willing to lay down our lives for others, it's what history attests to. When people are willing to lay down their lives for other people, the world benefits, our country benefits. So we have an election this week, for those of you who can vote, and I hope that you will. It's an important part of being a good citizen and being somebody who exercises the ability that you have to speak your mind and to speak up for those in our country uh, who need help. We can vote to help other people get the things that they need. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more and finish up this series about what it looks like for us as a church to do that. Uh, so I hope you'll be here next week and you'll hear a little bit more about that. Let's pray. Um, God, thanks uh, for your word that remind us how we are to live in relationship with one another. God, I'm grateful that we get to, in this country, have a say in who leads us, uh, who our elected officials will be. And I pray that as we uh, consider our vote, that we would think of others first, uh, that we would think about how uh, our vote impacts other people, and um, that we, some of us uh, who are called into politics, would go into politics and would be about helping other people experience your goodness and your love. And we pray that you would remind us again and again that we don't serve any particular political party or any particular leader, that we ultimately serve you and that we surrender to you. And might that, as we do that more and more as a church, uh, that that might speak to others who don't know you and don't know your love that you have for them. Amen.